Welcome to Relentless Truth with John Warren, the podcast that extracts truth from a wide range of topics, revealing who God is, who we are, and how we relate to each other. Now, here's John with this week's powerful and practical insights. Welcome to Relentless Truth. I'm John Warren. It's good to be with you again. Please like, share, subscribe to, and review Relentless Truth wherever you get your podcasts. Or you can find us at johnwarrenmedia.com. Please don't hesitate to send questions or comments along. You can do so with our contact form at the website or by sending an email to john at johnwarrenmedia.com. My guest today is an old friend, a special guest. You're going to enjoy getting to know him. Instead of my usual verbose introduction, I'm going to just tell you this. I have known Bill Stroop for, oh, I didn't do the math before this. I think I've known Bill Stroop for 45 years or so. And we met back at a church whose name has changed called Shades Mountain Independent Church, and I I think technically it's probably in Hoover, Alabama. And I'm going to ask Bill to tell his story. He has lived an interesting life, and uh, I'm going to dispense with the usual uh, birth through education, through vocation, and let Bill talk about his story in just a moment. But Bill, it is so good to have you here. Welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks, John. I appreciate that. It's really All right. a lot of fun. All right. This is going to be fun because you are way more interesting to this audience than, uh, than, you, than you realize. <laughs> I want you to talk about, just initially, just ramble through your story from birthish through today, just hitting the highlights. And I, I'll interrupt you along the way, maybe, and, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll kind of see where it goes. All right. Okay. Rather... Let's start. Let's go go back way back in high school. I guess we'll begin there. I did grow up in a home where I was taken to church. Kind of, a, I guess they were kind of dead churches, but I heard the gospel, but never really registered to me. And um, back in high school, when I was a junior, I was walking downtown with a friend of mine in high school, and somebody came up to this group, came up to us and said, "If you die tonight, you know where to go." And my friend answered. Yeah, I'm a member of the FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And I thought, wait a minute, that's not a very good answer. And they asked me, <laughs> and said, well, you know, I go, uh, no, I don't. So we'll just pray this prayer. So I prayed the prayer. And, you know, I walked off and thanked him. And my friend Jeff said, no, why'd you do that? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought it was the right thing to do. And so I, I really, that's my first, first experience, I guess, with a, somebody, an evangelist of sorts. But later on in high school, before my senior year, I was at a small evangelistic meeting, and this guy, very big guy, that was preaching and into the service, he goes, there's a boy on my right that needs to come forward. I looked around. I was the only boy on his right. So that must be me. Oh, no. So I walked forward, yeah, and they took me in the back room. I remember what I said to him. I said, I want to let Christ come into my life. And they took me in the back room. They showed me the the illustration of the two cliffs, you know, you're on one side and heaven's on the other side, the cross in the middle helps you get across the, it takes you across the gulf. And uh, I can even remember the girl that was there with me, there were two of us that went forward. 
the name was Nancy, I still remember her name. And I really thought that's when I became a believer, not for my senior in high school. But then I, I got out of college and, and, you know, I just kind of got away from everything. Where'd you go to and college? I went to Auburn, legal. Yep. Hey. And so I was there and, and my you you were and I, you were an accounting major if I remember correctly. I was an accounting major. I don't know. My my dad told me to be an accounting major, so I was an accounting major. Yeah. I wish I'd taken something else, but that's okay. That's another part of the story. But while I was there, my friends would go out and do things like on Thursday night they'd have a big party. Friday night was another party. Saturday was the game, and Sundays they would all get up and go to this dead church, and I'd go with them. And I didn't party like they did, but, you know, they were, they would all go to dead church because that's where the sororities went. Now, you're, just to be clear, you're, you're, you're saying dead church? Dead. Yeah, uh, okay. dead. Like okay. a dead, dead church. Like really, a, like, I never, never heard the gospel there. A friend, a friend of mine but, used the word in a, in a previous episode. He said he called the church anemic. Is that fair? I like that. It's worse than that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was, yours was dead, yeah. <laughs> yeah, really dead, yeah. All right. But all the girls were there. So, you know, me and a guy, we'd go to where the girls were, but um, it wasn't until I got out of college and I started working as an accountant, because that you know, was my major, and I knew there was a problem before I started work. I just didn't like accounting anymore, you know, I just, mm. but I'd already majored in, didn't know what to do. You go to school four years, you graduate in accounting, you go, well, I guess I'll be an accountant. I think so many people do that, don't you? Yeah, I do. I really do. So, I, I, I uh, after... Nine months of being accountant, I was let go. I was fired, basically. You know, I was fired by this firm. They said, uh, well, they, they had made a lot of hires and a lot of mergers, and they decided that I was no longer needed. I was, a, it was like last in, first out inventory. So I was the last one in. I was the first one out. So I had mm-hmm. fired. And I went to work for the food company. But when I got fired, Right during that time, I started thinking, now, what, something's wrong with my life. There's, there's something that's amiss here. And I asked myself the question, Bill, you're a Christian, right? You're a believer, right? And I, you know what I did? I answered my own question by saying this to myself. Yes, I walked forward and shook hands with an evangelist, and I said, I want to let Christ come into my life. Mm. And I was, I was searching scripture. I was calling my roommate from all in my last year's roommate, who was a believer from you know, Dallas, Texas. I was calling him. And a light went off. It's like, wait a minute. I'm trusting in something I've done. I'm not trusting in what has been done for me. In, in other words, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but, but I have a very similar experience. And two episodes before this one, I interviewed a pastor and he put it, a guy named Charlie Parrish, who I think you might even be connected with yeah. him on social yeah, media yeah, now. Yeah. Uh, great guy. And he actually said, and I hadn't thought of it this way exactly, but he said, I would have rejected the Catholic doctrine of justification by works. Not that every Catholic believes justification by works, but he said, I would have re- rejected yeah. that doctrine. But I believe that my salvation came from a different kind of works by walking yeah. an aisle, praying a prayer, signing a card and so on. Is that fair? Exactly. That's it. Yeah. My story too. Exactly. Yeah. So when I, when I got out of, um, Auburn, and about nine after I got fired, that's when I became a believer. I went searching, and I realized, okay, I'm not trusting the Lord. So I became a believer at about twenty, almost twenty months, twenty-three years old. Yep. And I went to work for a little accounting company, 
there in Homewood, Alabama. And I was sitting there one day at my desk, and this guy walks in named Jack. And Jack is from my old firm that I used to work for. Mm -hmm. Jack's responsibility there was to find little firms to buy up and to merge with. And immediately when he walked in, I saw him, I go, "Uh uh-oh, he's coming to buy our firm. Oh, no. I am going back to where I used to work. (laughs) You had seen this movie before. Yeah, I'd seen it before. So they bought our firm. I went back to work downtown Birmingham again. Here I'm working. That lasted six weeks, and they fired me again. No. No, yeah. I had not heard this story. I may be the only person that's ever been fired twice and hired once by the same time. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) So, you know, and and they... um, the guy walked into my office and said, look, we just, uh, one of the partners, we just don't think you have a net for accounting. And um, I looked at him and said, you know, you're right. I, I just don't like what I'm doing. I want to go to seminary. And he said, well, you think, we think you're better fit for that. <laughs> wow. You know, probably that's not a really good testimony of the believer, and I got fired. But there was just something there. We just, it just didn't click. Yeah. I, 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 my heart wasn't in it. I didn't want to do it. I just become a believer, and I thought, ah, I, I don't want to do accounting anymore. I didn't want to do it to begin with. Then I really don't want to be in accounting, but I didn't know what to do. Oh, I don't think and there's so anything to be uh, ashamed of or embarrassed of in that story, because I, I, I know now, experientially, I know, and I know theologically, God uses the most mundane things for His glory in our lives, and yeah. in, in a way, that message was, uh, I know you well and know how you spent the rest of your life, and I know that... Uh, you know, God used that encounter for his glory. Yeah, he did. And if I had just had enough faith, I would have just said, no, I, I, this is not what God wants for me. And I would have walked out and just quit, you know, tell him, give a notice. Sure. I'm going to quit. Yep. Instead of being, instead, God has had to kind of kick me out the door. It's really. hard, hard to do that, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it really is. So, you know, I learned, I learned something. There. But uh, I went on to seminary. I didn't know I could go to seminary because I hadn't gone to Bible college. The only Greek I knew was sororities and fraternities, you know, the, the yep. symbols for them. Yep. And, and um, you knew, you knew about half, half the Greek alphabet, but not in order. I did. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> 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 so I, I, I went and turned up, I had to pick up Greek uh, in seminary at Grace Seminary in Winona Lake, Indiana. And at that time, it was not in the curriculum. They said, you got to take it. It's going to be extra. So for my 96 hours of, uh, seminary turned into actually 106 because I had to take Greek and get credit for that or not get credit for that and I had to take a remedial English course so I could find out what a verb is you know that's, that, that, that's the worst part about public school in Alabama that, that's from that's from I was going to say that's from growing up in Alabama right there yeah, every, exactly. everybody has to take remedial English exactly I didn't, I didn't know what a verb what an infinitive or you know right. participle was I had to go Take it again and then get credit for it. Anyway, so from there, when I was in the seminary, I wanted, I was really thought, well, where does God want me? I wasn't quite sure. What, is, what am I supposed to do? I, I kind of wanted to go into counseling and youth work, and I went to seminary, and that all changed. But in the meantime, I thought, well, let me let me look at uh, the mission field. And so one year, I thought, well, okay, after my second year, I'll take a summer off and I'll go to uh, France with the Grace Brethren, because the Grace Seminary was the Grace Brethren School. And I thought I could go there. So I signed up to go, and about, uh, oh, one, one long after that, I decided I need to work. I need money to go back to school. 
And I told him, no, I wasn't going to, I didn't, I wasn't going to go. And I turned him down. And the next time I rolled around, I thought, well, the next time I was rolling around, I thought, I, I, I want to go now. And so I went back to Grace Brethren and said, well, um, I want to go to France. And they said, we're not sending anybody this year. Basically, it meant that uh, the group that went last year had too much fun. Yeah. <laughs> and not enough was done. So um, they were revamping the program. And they said, would you like to go to somewhere? I think it was uh, one Costa Rica, someplace way down, way down below Miami. And I said, Argentina. I was like, yeah. We'd like to go to Argentina instead. I go, no, I don't think I want to go to Argentina. They said, what about Kentucky in the mountains? He'll go to country. And I go, eh, no. <laughs> don't think I want to do that. So um, I had met the head of team at that point. He did Jellicoe Lines Mission. Yep. Dick Winchell. Yep. Great guy. Great guy. And I, I knew Mike Pocock, the candidate secretary, because he had come to Grace for a seminar, a Grace Seminary. And I thought, well, I'm just, I'm just looking at the team here. And I, I met a girl in a college, college and the seminary were on the same campus. A girl in a college who had been to Japan for a summer and just loved it. And you didn't have to know Japanese. You know, she was treated like a queen. And I thought, yeah, that sounds like, I think that's what I want. So I applied to team to go to uh, Japan for the summer. And I immediately get a phone call from them that says, uh, hey, we noticed you're an accountant. Would you like to go to Chad, Africa to be an accountant for six months instead of three months in Japan? And I'm thinking, right off hand, my first thought was, no. no that's not what I want to do, but I, I said the Christian thing, you know, I'll pray about it. Yep. So the did. Christian no, or at least the not yet. Yeah, the Christian no. Yeah, I'll pray about it. Not yet. So I, I, Jared, I called him back the next week and said, like, I still want to go to Japan. And he said, that's fine. That's fine. Now, Bill, what what year is this, roughly, if you remember? Okay, roughly summer of, um, summer of 76. Okay. Or 77. Summer of 77. I think it's uh, uh, somewhere along the day, yeah. late 70s. Yeah. I mixed up. J- Jimmy, Carter, well, I, uh, Jimmy Carter's in the White House. He might be, yeah. yeah. I think so. So um, I uh, I told him, no, I, I want to go to Japan. They said, that's fine. We just want to check. We just want to check with him. And come to find out, six weeks later, there was riots in the Chad. They had to remove all the missionaries. Mm. So I could not have gone to Chad even if I'd said yes. And then the second confirmation of the Lord was all my support came in for that summer without me sending out a letter, just people finding out about it. Wow. And then I was getting too much support. The team was saying, well, you can't get any more. You know, <laughs> this is all we're, what's all you're allowed to have for the summer. If you're going to get any more, it goes to the other, other. Not a story you hear often. No, it's not. <laughs> but so I thought, okay, two things are directing me to Japan. One, they, you know, I said no to Chad. And then the missionaries were removed from there. And then the money came in. And so I thought, okay, I'll go to Japan. So I, I went to Japan and I actually loved it and I hated it. I mean, it's just one of those kind of a love-hate, love-hate relationship with Japan. But that was always in the back of my mind. I, I think, this is going to sound a little strange, but back in 1963, when I was like ooh, 11 years old, there was a song, and it was number one on the hit parade here in America. We call it the Skiaki song. It's actually the name of Sueo Muite. It's sung by um, a Japanese guy, Sakamoto Q. And I heard that, and it just was, um, I wouldn't even believe it then, but it's kind of an enchanting song. It's a sad love song is what it was. But yep. you'll hear it a lot still in America even now. And 
And I'm, I'm wondering, did God plant that in my brain about Japan? Like, oh, I think I like, I like this song in order to get me there. You know, what little things did he do in my life that maybe went unnoticed by me to put me in, in Japan? Anyway, so I was there. I came back from Japan, and there was this girl that I really liked a whole lot before I went to Japan named Lil. And she's always, we had kind of an off and on relationship. When I liked her, she didn't like me. When she liked me, I didn't like her. And I the four years we were friends. And it didn't seem to go any further than that. And, and when I got back to Japan, I had gone to Japan. I'd completely gotten over her. I was, okay, God, this is not what you want. You know, okay. And uh, in Japan, when I got back to Japan, she said, I think God is, God is telling me you're the right one for me. <laughs> I'm going, no, 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 you can't say that. I spent a summer getting over you. <laughs> I, I, re- I remember. I remember this part well. You were there. Oh yeah. Yeah, you were there. Oh yeah. Uh, this is when you know Johnny and Connie get married. You, you, you were. You were both very. You were both very kind to each other, though. Through that, I mean, at least publicly, through that period. But there was a, there was a back and forth that went on for sure. Uh yeah. Yeah, there was a back and forth, and um, I mean, it's a beautiful crazy. love story, and it, it, I it's mean, really crazy. It, yeah. yeah, yeah, but but a sweet, sweet story. Her dad, her dad was not a believer. Yeah, he said, "I, I, you're the right one. You're the right one for Lil." And uh, nice. <laughs> one of our on one of our um, out time, we weren't we weren't actually seeing eye to eye. Lil and I were. Uh, he invited me to go to the beach with him. I said, no. <laughs> I said, Lil, Lil doesn't want me there right now. And he said, well, you can be with me. No. Oh, <laughs> that's great. I, I, I'll pass on that one. I'll pass on that beach trip, although I did go on a couple with her. You know, that particular one, no, 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 no. First arranged marriage in the U.S.? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, we finally, about a year later, we got together. When, when I was an intern, I was a year intern at that church you and I worked at for a summer. And she was teaching in the school. And when they asked me, when they asked me to, if I wanted to be an intern in the church, I knew if I said yes, I would marry Lil. It was, I don't know why. I said, okay, if we're together, if I'm, she's working in the school right here by, by us, the same building, and I'm an intern, we will get married. So to me, it's like, okay, I've got to decide now, do I if I'm going to, do I really want to marry Lil? Is this what God wants? And so I said, okay, that's where it could lead. I'll head in that direction. And lo and behold, we got married. Before we got married, I told her, I said, Lil, you know, there's a chance we may go back to Japan. I loved it. I hated it. You know, there's a chance we could go. And she goes, that's great. I've always wanted to be a missionary. Now, just flesh that out just uh, yeah. ever so slightly. Yeah. When you say love and hate, and, and I want you to talk more about the culture in Japan and all that when you get there, but... What do you mean by that? And that first visit, you said, I loved it and hated it. What, what, in, in short terms that American people can relate to, what, what, was, what was lovely and what was to be hated? Let's see. The, let, me, let me share this with you first, and I'll tell you what happened to me. Amy Carmichael. You know Amy Carmichael? The great missionary? I know 40 the name. Years in, yep. 40 years in India rescuing girls out of temple yep. prostitution. Yep. She lasted, she lasted 13 months in Japan before she left. Wow. Walked, I didn't know that. Walked off the, walked off the field writing to an admission board. She complained about the Japanese way of thinking, called the Japanese head, the Japanese way of thinking, and the climate. 
And so it's a Japanese way of thinking that will drive you crazy sometimes. And what is that? How would you explain that? Group mentality. Nobody, like in, in school, nobody's ever double promoted. They all go through the same thing at the same time all over the nation. Yep. Right? It's that group conformity. One size fits all. Yeah, it's all. And they have, a, they have a proverb over there translated, the nail that sticks up is hammered down. Oh, yeah. Don't be different. Yep. You know, and, and so you've got to, we'll be walking down the street, and when pushing, you know, pushing my first child in a buggy down the street, I would hear the same thing. Oh, he's so cute. Oh, he's so cute. Oh, he's so cute. <laughs> and, you know, it's like they're programmed. They yeah. are programmed just to say this. And, and in, in many ways, I love the group mentality. It's not about me. Right. I, lo- I love the group. But in some ways, I don't like it at all, especially if you have a, like a, a board meeting or a church meeting. you got to come to a consensus. Yeah. Well, how hard is it to come to a 100% consensus on something? And the meetings last so long, trying to uh, get everybody. Everybody has to share their opinion. Everybody has to, you know, come to a conclusion. And um, in the old days, and not now, but in the old days, if you were going to sell a piece of land in Japan, you had to have your neighbor's permission. Oh, wow. Even though it's your land. You know, if neighbor A has to check with neighbor B, C, and D to make sure they're okay selling the land. You've never told me this level of detail, but it makes perfect sense because I know them to be the best negotiators in the world. And I I never thought about why exactly, but this makes perfect sense. They are. It's just an amazing country. I love it. I love the food. I love the people. You know, now I'm an American. I was there. We were talking to a Chinese lady one day in Japan, Lil was talking to her and telling her how wonderful, how well we're treated as Americans. And she said, it's not like that with Chinese. Oh, most Asia hates Japan anyway because of World War II. Yeah. Huh. So there's still that remembrance of what happened to my parents, you know, what, what went on to my grandparents. There's still that memory. And so not like that for every foreigner in Japan, but we're an American. They pretty much, most of Japan loves Americans because you know, MacArthur came up from the south in Japan and Russia and the Soviet Union came down from the north and they know that if, if Soviet Union had come all the way down through Japan, their economy would be much like Russia's today. But instead of MacArthur coming up and setting things up as he did and being so kind of what all America did for them, they, you know that, their economy was booming there for was the number one in the nation world for a while there. Huh. I knew we were well regarded by them, but I didn't realize that was the reason. Well, the uh, uh, Soviet Union took one of the main islands up, up north called Sakhalin. They took it and they did not give it back. They still own it. It's just nothing but ice, you know, a bunch of ice on a naval station. Yeah. But it, it, it's there. And so whenever the, uh, whenever Russia comes in and asks for, asks for a loan or something from, uh, you know, want to borrow something from uh, Japan, and they'll say, well, we'll buy the island back. <laughs> we'll buy wow. it back from you. No, they won't do it. Won't sell it. So I, I interrupted so you at the point where Lil was, said, I want to be a missionary too. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's all. Okay. I didn't want to, didn't want to uh, marry me under false pretenses. And we did, uh, well, instead of going straight to Japan, they were kind of encouraging us because we were in the 30s to go and learn the language, which it is hard anyway. We went back to school. I went back to seminary to work on a master's of theology. 
which was the best move we'd ever made. Because we got in a got in a really good church. She got to meet a lot of people that like me. She was a little, little crazy, I guess. And we met some lasting friends. Is this back at Grace or is this a different Grace, place? Back at Grace. Okay. Back at Grace, we, we met um, a guy that I just looked up to all the time was Dr. Trevor Cragen. And he ended up at Master's teaching, Master's Seminary up there. And another guy named George Zimmick, Dr. Zimmick, who was my Hebrew teacher. And, and these were, we got to know them, you know, and, and we got to meet other students. It was, it was really good for her because she had been to a, I won't say which one it was, a very inch deep, Christian school was only evangelism and yep. know, give money and yep. that was it. So, so anyway, it was it was that far. But then uh, we after that we ended up in Japan. And in 1985, we were there for 20 years, on and off for 20 years. And um, it was quite an experience. I had one girl share in chapel there in language school. She said, "I think I was sent here. I was sent here to Japan for my own sanctification." And it suddenly struck me. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we, I've been sitting here for my own sanctification, not to, not to, you know, turn Japan upside down. Uh, basically, it was like for, almost like I was in a Truman show or something. You know? Yeah. Everything was going on to make me what I'm supposed to be. So, uh, yeah. Uh, we had, well. That's I, actually I, a really good way to look at it theologically, it isn't is. it? It is. really is. I thought, that's, that's right, you know. But after two years of language school, they asked me to come into the office to be their accountant. Oh, no. And I'm going, you know what? I've had six years in seminary, a year of internship at our church, and two years of language school, and they want me to be the accountant. And I'm going, oh, no, but they, they're desperate. Their accountant was going on furlough. They wanted me to come in for at least a year. So I came in for two years, and I served as the accountant, and then I said, okay, I went out of here. I just, as a matter of fact, after our first term in Japan, we quit. I didn't know that. that. We lived in Tokyo for two years, and that's nothing but a concrete jungle. When I was single and there for a few it was great. When you're there with a family and little kids, it's not great. And I was like, oh, where's the grass? Where's the clean air? Yeah. One day, one day from the top of my uh, top floor of my, it's a hostel. We're actually, this hostel that turned into a house. On the top floor, I saw Fuji one day, Mount Fuji. It was so far away. Instead of rejoicing, that bothered me. I said, why can't I see Fuji on a normal day? There mm. must be so much smog out there in Tokyo. I can't see Fuji. Yep. Anyway, we quit and we came. They said, well, okay. We sold all our stuff and uh, put some in storage, sold the rest. And they told us on, on the field, don't make that decision until you get back to America and think it over and pray about it. So we came back thinking, well, we quit. And what happened here is we went to some mission conferences. We got here, Otto Koenig at one mission conference. He's the author of the Pineapple Story. And we, we heard him and we listened to what he was saying, the things that he went through on the mission field. He went back on tranquilizers. And we're thinking, oh, maybe God, maybe we, maybe we're a little hasty about quitting. And we had a we had a young man we knew in Japan who's um, son of a family we knew. He was not a believer. And when we first met him, we knew he had already had a nervous breakdown in the way he acted. Well, he committed suicide. And that's very prevalent in Japan, suicide. It's a way out. Mm. And so we started thinking on our first furlough, the home assignment, they don't call it furlough anymore. It sounds like it's too much fun. On our first home assignment, 
we uh, we started thinking we heard out of Kona's. We went to these incredible missions conferences of supporting churches. And then this guy committed suicide. We're thinking, okay, let's go back. So we went back, which is the hardest thing to do because we didn't have any stuff over there. Mm. You know, we're, already, we're not going to move it again. That's too expensive. So we went back again. And the secretary in our office says, hey, there's a friend of the emperor, relative of some sort, friend, I don't know. They're giving away really good stuff. They're remodeling. And you can get some great stuff if you just get down here by the weekend. So we did. We got down there by the weekend, got a truck and a friend of ours to drive it. We got down there and picked up a whole bunch of stuff we needed, sofas, chairs, uh, a box to put your shoes in when you walk into the house, just stuff like that. Like, wow, Lord, work that out. Now talk about your family at that point, because I, I want this audience to picture, you know, what you're actually going through here. How how many kids had been born by then okay. and what are their okay. ages when yeah. you when you moved back and got the emperor's friend's furniture? Stop. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see, um, we were one-year-old, I don't know if we were, my oldest son was one-year-old, we were Japan. We had, we had a son there, and he was like made in Japan, I was going to get that tattooed on the bottom of his foot, so he was born there at a little country hospital, that's crazy. And then we got back to America for the first furlough, on our first furlough, we had our, our um, what I call our family idol was born, our little girl. Mm-hmm. And so, at that time, when we went back, we had, uh, on the second time, we had three. At one, we went out, one was born there, and then we went back with three. Both times, we went back with a one-year-old. Yeah, and they're, they're all young at that point. Yeah, I know. They're all young at that point. They're a little kids. And, and little, I, she was a school teacher, so I trusted her with her education. We homeschooled. Uh, the problem with that was the nearest homeschool family was four hours away. Wow. And they were trying to encourage us to put the kids in Japanese school uh, you know, sent them to a boarding school there at Christian Academy in Japan. We just didn't think, you know, I trusted Lil because she taught school. Like, okay, you can, you can teach them. We homeschool, which turned out to be the best option for us. And a lot of a lot of the families will send their little ones to um, kindergarten and, and elementary school to pick up Japanese. But the problem with that is the morality. Is, is that's the part you don't like. Right. They're immoral. They just are moral. You know, mm-hmm. nothing's immoral, nothing more. Just amoral society, and uh, um, we just didn't want we didn't want that to happen. Amoral meaning no, no right and wrong, no really. Yeah, no real right and wrong. It's okay for doctor lie to you. I mean, we we went to a swimming pool one time. Took the kids to a swimming pool inside, like a YMCA, and we got there just as the, the school was leaving, and these were like five, six year old kids, and the teachers were getting them all out of the pool. And undressing them right there, not in the dressing room, right by the pool, you know. <laughs> and I'm going, whoa! <laughs> yeah, is, I'm a I'm a little southern boy. This doesn't seem right to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, little things like that, and they have uh, baby um, Japanese baths over there, which are great. You know, men and women separated, but. A lot of times on TV, you can see families, extended families, on vacation in the same in the same pool. You know, taking a bath, uncles, wow. aunts, grandfathers, grandmothers—that's that's perfectly normal for them. Oh wow! But for me, it's like, oh, shut the TV off quick. <laughs> <laughs> so things like that. You know, the more we weren't we weren't really happy. The education system is great. You know, ninety over ninety nine percent of the Japanese can read. Mm-hmm. It's very yeah, much better in Alabama. Let's say that. Yeah, but but the morality, and we want to teach the kids Bible too. So we, we uh, hung in there with homeschooling. And 
the funny part about it is my son, my oldest son, studied physics in high school. Yeah. Well, well that leaves me out in the, out in the cold. But he would write the author of the book. He'd send him an email, and the guy would send him an email back and answer the next day. Wow. They write, it was 13 hours, 13 hours apart. He didn't have an answer by the time he woke up. Mm. So that was really, that was cool the way the word worked that one out. But yeah, I was, um, I was over there, and after I got out of counting, the office, the second term, we went to a place called Magano Can. 1998, there was Winter Olympics there. Mm-hmm. And so we, uh, we were there, and that place I just loved. I loved Magano Can. And we learned how the kids learned how to snowboard. First, we taught them how to snow ski. But then I saw two of them riding, going down the slopes backwards on purpose. And I realized, okay, they need a new challenge. So oh, I picked wow. up a snowboard. Nobody knew how to snowboard. I bought one on trail. And my son, I knew enough to know it's dangerous. So I put my son in the class, a Japanese friend taught him. And then he taught me, then I taught the kids. And then we taught him his family. Didn't let Lil snowboard because she's too bad. He was still skiing. <laughs> it was one of those things when, you know, for when the homeschool, we could study on Saturday and we'd go slopes on Monday. Yep. Or Tuesday. It just it was so advantageous for us to do that. Mm-hmm. But finally, it came to the point of in Japan where we'd been there so long. I was teaching way too much English, and we'd gone into church planning after after the accounting episode. And I felt like felt like you know I'm, I'm teaching so much English in order to get the money, add to my support so we can stay here. That it just didn't seem to be worth it anymore. It just seemed like I was just, I'm not sent here to teach English. I'm sent here to uh, be ministered. And if I'd been sent as an English teacher, I'd be fine. But I wasn't sent that way. So, right. Um, and Leo was having trouble with uh, just with kids, raising kids. And we'd gone through high school. We'd think, what about college? What about marriage? Man? What's going on? And so we came back. And actually, we came back in 2004 and resigned then. So after 20 years in the field, came here and I started working. Started working for a um, a little bitty mission board here in Alabama, in Birmingham. It's called the Wells Global Ministry. Yep. And oddly enough, you remember when I said I went went forward and shook hands with the evangelist and said I want like Christ come in my life. Yes. That was Wells. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was Wells. So you so, went. Uh, yeah. You went full circle. Yeah, I went full circle. Now back to work for Wells, and, and uh, you, you've and gone you've gone full circle several times. Oh yeah, so I'm getting busy. <laughs> now let me just ask you this about yeah. the uh, experience mm-hmm. in Japan. Yeah, I got the sense from a distance, and it was quite a distance, that you got about as assimilated into the culture and the people there as an American missionary can do. Is that accurate? For me, yeah, I guess so. We, in a way, yeah. We were we didn't have to cut our hair or wear kimono or anything like that. But I found out that if you want to reach men, which you want to, you can teach English to be with the ladies and stuff like that. I started teaching English in a um, university close by. They wanted just conversational English. I was teaching doctor students and stuff like that. Yeah, people like that. And then I found out the men. If you want, if you want to reach the men in Japan, you got to go out and be with them. They're not going to come to your house or whatever. Yep. come to church or whatever. So I started the golf ministry. They had a they had a team had a fund at that time for called Innovative Evangelism. 
Yeah. And I read where some guy in Mexico had been and had bought outdoor stuff like kayaks and things. And he had a ministry but was on the river. And so I thought, okay, I'm just going to take a chance. I'm going to apply for this stuff. And I want, like, I want, like, at that time, I think, I want $15,000, which is kind of quite a lot then. For mm-hmm. computers, cameras, golf equipment, and video, you know, uh, all kinds of video editing software, Final Cut Pro. That's how my son got his start in, in uh, work with using as a video videographer. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we, um, I would bring in a Christian pro and we'd go play golf. I'd bring, he'd, he'd do, he would do, um, with the men, he would do a clinic for me. And then the next day on Monday, he would go to the golf course, mm. play with his men. And at the, when, at the clinic, we would give him a test, would he give his testimony? I would record it and record each individual session and give like a one point lesson each hand and then a group lesson to everybody. And so I'd record the lessons and I'd record the testimony and then I'd go back home to my computer and my software and I would edit the whole thing and give it back to each individual person that came. What a great so idea. They could, they could, it worked out well. I mean, even now, I still have that golf industry going here in Alabama. I play golf on Saturdays with uh, most of the not most of most of the people I play with are Honda workers. Lincoln, Lincoln, Alabama's real close by. Has a so big I, a big Honda plant where and yeah, what, big Honda. what do they make there? Is it the pilot? I think so. Yeah, I think I it think is. It's, I think it's the pilot. Yeah, yeah. So I get them on I get them on Saturdays, and we go play golf. And I instead of doing clinics for them, I die just get with them individually. And I've um, there's no such thing as a mulligan in Japan. Just you know, that the mulligan is when you you get to do the shot over, and the first shot didn't count at all. You mean they're they're the only golfers in the world who actually don't cheat? They don't cheat. They <laughs> do everything by the book. They do everything exactly by the book. No gimmies. Oh no. wow! So yeah, everything strict. And, and so um, now I've got them. I said, okay, now I'm going to teach you about mulligan. It's called grace. They do me grace. This is grace. I'm going to teach you about grace. You can if you hit a bad shot. You can take you know, grace comes your way, and you don't have to count it. And so they're they're learning this word in Japanese and something. You know, it's a beautiful girl's name too, but it's grace. And so they're getting it. They're getting this idea. Okay, grace. Oh, you get grace. You don't have to put it out. You get grace. You know, oh, you get grace. Oh wow! And so I found out they were they were finally it, it, they found out that Don and uh, they knew what they're talking about. When I hit a bad shot one time off the tee, and they go, ah. Megumi, Megumi, Megumi. Now that they're getting it. Now you, Bill, you 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 sell yourself short a little bit, but I I knew as you were, well, even when we were friends when we were very young, I knew that you were really smart and have a you have a versatile brain. You clearly have an affinity for language, and did that? I, I'm guessing you and I've never talked about this, but I'm guessing that really helped you in those early days as you were trying to learn one of the most complicated languages that a person could take on as a second language, uh, Japanese. Is that true? You know, it, it helps somewhat, but an Asian language is so foreign to us. Um, we had heard when we first went out there that if you go to Europe and learn Spanish or French or Italian or whatever, you go to a language school for one year and you're, you've got it. Japan, to get that equivalent in Japanese, four years. Yeah. Language school. yeah, by saying it was fun, you, you just answered my question, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, like, 
I had never, one of, okay, here's the thing I told my class today. I, I teach Hebrew and Greek at um, Birmingham Theological Seminary. Further, like further answering, years. further confirming that I'm right. Well, here's the problem. Uh, you know, I'm a little rebellious. You know, I got a little, little Greek in me. Well, you, you grew up in the 60s and 70s, <laughs> so you had yeah. to be. Yeah, I had to be rebellious. Um, long hair and all that. But um, when I was in Japan, they wanted me to study Japanese. When I was on the train, a lot of time I had out my Greek and Hebrew book, uh, textbook. I wanted to go over it. My thinking was, hey, look, I spent six years on Greek and Hebrew. I don't want to lose it. And, yeah. and so I, I went over Greek and Hebrew a lot. And when I was helping out with a speech and debate club in Birmingham, Christian speech and debate club, they, uh, the, one of the guys, his son was in this speech and debate club with the head of Birmingham Theological Seminary. Glenn was his name. So Glenn came up to me one day and said, and I, I, I've been teaching Greek to homeschoolers in, uh, in a homeschool group. And he came up to me and said, hey, I heard you're teaching Greek. I said, yeah, I am homeschooler. He said, will you teach for me? Well, what do you mean? You mean like in the school? And said, he said, yeah, I want you to teach for me. I said, really? And then I said, you know, I'm sorry. I, I, I'd love to, but I've already looked at the doctrinal statement. I can't completely hold to the Westminster Convention. Yep. And, oh, boy. And so I can't sign off on it. Yeah. He said, hey, our school has four confessions. If you can sign any one of those, you can teach there. You know, we don't, we don't just do Presbyterians and, and uh, Amils. And you, you, can, you can teach there. Said, oh, really? So then he, he said, I'd love for you to do that. I said, great. He said, it's 6.30 in the morning on Wednesday. I said, wait, what? <laughs> 6.30 in the morning on Wednesday? I'm teaching Greek and Hebrew. Wait, I'm rebellious. I can't. I can't be up at six thirty. <laughs> so I did it, and uh, man, I said yes. I've been teaching there for like twelve, fourteen years. They were the year one year Greek, next year Hebrew. Now they this year they changed it. I mean, they brought in the doctors, doctors to teach Greek. They're going to have a great major. So I asked the vice president, you know, is there, am I going to teach Greek again? He goes, No, you're teaching Hebrew. And I'm like, Oh, now after my first year of teaching Greek there. The vice president said, are you going to teach Hebrew for us? And I looked at him and said, you know, that's not my major. You know, he said, you've had it, right? I said, well, yeah, I, I majored in Greek, but I, I, I had some. I've had like two or three years of Hebrew. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, my goodness, what is this? And so, But I have, I, have, I have an ace in the hole, ace up my sleeve, I guess you say. My son is a Semitic language major at a master's. I want you to do this because I'm sorry to interrupt you, but this brings us to a point. I almost interrupted you like three times to get you to do this. Okay. Talk about your youngsters and where they're not so young anymore okay. and where they are and what they're up yeah. to and how they're doing because you have a sweet, sweet wife and family oh, yeah. and this gets blasted out there, this podcast to all kinds of people all over the place. And I want them to be able to listen to this and hear their uh, names. So talk yeah, about them just briefly. Okay, everybody knows that um, I married over my head. Yeah, we Will both, we both, we both married up, as they say. So, we both, yeah. So, Laney is my oldest. He's, he was he was one year old with Japan. He, we homeschooled him all the way. And then he went to Master's College and then into Master's Seminary. And how so, old is he now? He is, oh my goodness. I don't know. He's in his late 30s. Like 39, 36. Uh, just, that's, that's just crazy. That doesn't sound right yeah, to me. Somewhere like that. Somewhere, I have to add it up. But interesting story about Laney, how he's where he is right now. 
before you went, you didn't need a driver's license in Japan. You could go anywhere by train, bus, taxi. Yeah. And you get your license when you're 18 anyway. So when he came back here, when we moved back here, he wanted to get his license right before school. So I took him to get his license. And uh, he came back and he came back and said, well, Lenny, how'd you do? On the road test. He said, I failed. Why? And I taught him all this. He said, well, I didn't stop at the stop sign. I stopped at the corner. I said, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to stop at the line. Oh, lady, I'm so sorry. That's my mistake. I just, I didn't teach you. I'm sorry. Oh, boy. I just, I, I blew it. I blew it. My name's right. He did not have time to go back and try again. He went to, he went to college, master's college, without a driver's license. Oh, no. And he was trying to get work study on campus. And he went to a kind of a work study fair, what do you want to call it, where everybody's presenting what they do, you know? Yeah. And he was going to, he, he, he didn't want to do dishes anymore because they're already, already washed enough dishes at a camp there close by in, in Japan. So he didn't want to work in the kitchen. And he thought about the library. But then he saw the mail guy, you know, the mail, the mail guy, what do you call mailman, right, on campus mail. Yeah. And he thought, I could do that. And so he starts to, to sign up for it. And they think, oh, this is great. And uh, um, he gets to the point and they say, hey, you got your license, don't you? No. No. <laughs> you can't work. You can't work for it. Oh, no. So the group next door was like the computer guys. Said, hey, come on. We can use you over here. Come on, come on. Well, he went to the computer guys. He's already a Mac tech, Mac techie guy with a with a software because that's how we used in Japan with Macs. Yeah, and so he went to work for them. They taught him Windows. They taught him uh, software, hardware. They taught him everything. He's a computer programmer right now. Oh wow! Yeah, he's got his own company. He's a computer programmer. He runs Ruby Ruby on Rails, and the reason he's there is because. I made a mistake teaching him how to drive. <laughs> because of a because of a failed driving test. That's awesome. Failed driving test. What a what a great story. <laughs> oh, there. Okay. oh, I know. Yeah. I know. He's a brilliant young man as well. Well, not so I, I think not, we got, not so I, young anymore. You know what? Yeah, I, I think we got the wrong baby at the hospital. You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is so he's not true. Tough. Yeah. Well, for weird, who's born in Japan. He was the only American baby in the hospital, so I know we got him. He's right. He's ours. <laughs> when when I did that golf ministry in Japan, he, he learned how to do Final Cut Pro with me. Yeah. And that's what he majored in uh, videography at Masters College also. Yeah. And he worked for a long time in videography. Now he's, now he's a computer programmer. <laughs> uh, oh, that's great. So he, he, um, just some friends taking a course. He got in a computer program, and they got him to come back and teach computer program, and he ventured off into um, working for this company now. Uh, so he's he's fine. He's got uh, he's got the second child on the way. Laney's got five. Laney's got five. That's um, great. Five of our grandkids. I see him in the pictures. And, they're they're a beautiful family. And he he's moved back to Japan to work in our church mm. as a tent maker, taking his business with him. Wow. Um, so tent making missionary. He's now back here in Alabama for a while. But uh, Alethea, our family idol, she also went to she went to Grace College and Masters College. Played soccer for them, and, and uh, um, now she's out in Oregon. And she has two children, one on the way, which will make ten total. The, the mission field of Oregon. Yeah, the mission field of Oregon. They're, you know, they're right there by um, they're right there in Beaverton right now. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Beaverton, Oregon. Know it well. Oregon State. Yep. And uh, all those beautiful all those things that are going on. Beautiful area. Somewhere on the right, it's beautiful. 
I don't see why they'd ever want to move back to Alabama. I don't know why anybody would leave that state or parts of uh, the state of Washington. That Pacific it, it, Northwest is gorgeous. It's gorgeous. It really is. It really is. And the weather's not bad. That rain that they have that we all hear about is more of a mist. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, uh, I don't know. Anyway, they were there, and he, she's married to this guy that's a manager of a Chick-fil-A, and they're trying to get their own, own franchise. But COVID's kind of set everything back on that, getting franchises. But, um, yeah. So that's our kids. They're all serving the Lord. They're, um, they're, um, they're just great kids. It's part of their dad. No, no, no. I have to do a full, briefly, full disclosure. You actually helped me identify the person, uh, Connie, who is my wife now. We were sitting together in church one day. I, I think you remember this. And I said, who is that? And pointed to the choir. Do you remember that? No. Oh, oh yeah. Yep. Yep. And you said, you said, I don't know. I think she's a student at Samford. I'm not quite sure. Yeah. Yeah, and, okay. yeah, yeah, and and we ended up meeting uh, uh, Greg and Evelyn Beers uh, introduced us, oh, yeah. Uh, and, yeah. and on a, a blind date, and you were later in our wedding. But I, well, I wanted you to talk about something weighty here, and, and it's yeah. uh, it is Lil, uh, your wife uh, was diagnosed some time ago with cancer. Can you just talk about that? Because I I have my own cancer story, and yeah, I think I think nowadays most people do, but it's just a it's a sweet story and it's ongoing and I want this audience to pray for her. So just talk about that briefly, if you would. Sure. Um, she, um, I think it's two years ago, somewhere along in there, she was diagnosed with breast cancer and, uh, they did a biopsy and then they said, you know, the future option. Well, none of those options just sounded good to my, to Lil. The radiation, the chemo, surgery, and just, she just didn't want to do it. Now, I was the type of person that says, what, Look, I have skin cancer. All I know about skin cancer, you have to go to the doctor and get it removed. I don't right. know any other way. To, right. I don't know any other way to deal with it. I took that totally but, conventional approach as well. Yeah, so I'm, I was just conventional all the way, and she was out of the box. And I, I've, I've seen these. I've watched some seminars. I watched some videotapes. I've done my study. I'm going to go with the natural way. I'm going to try to increase the increase the strength of your immune system, and I'm going to fight it. Now, there was a girl in the church named Kayla. Not in the church. She married a guy in the church named Kayla. Very young, college student. She had uh, brain cancer. And they got to the point where they couldn't do anything else with her. They, you know, couldn't do any more operations, couldn't do any more chemo. And so she went natural. And she had this protocol that she was following, really, really strict protocol. And they, they, she's still alive. She's still going strong. Well, Lil knew about her. And so that was saying, well, I'm going to do what I wanted. I'm going to do what Kayla did. And she was, Lil was led by the Lord to do what Kayla was doing and some other things. And it was very, it was a very strict diet and it was kind of hard for me. I I had to go hide in the basement and eat a piece of white bread. (laughs) (laughs) Well, something with gluten. (laughs) I think it was hard in another respect for you because you and I and many like us are so uh, accustomed to conventional medicine. Yeah. And I was very opposed to what she was doing. And we, I, I thought, man, we're going to come to blows over this. I mean, this is like we've been married 40 years, and we're going to come to blows over what she should do. And I finally had to come to the point in my life of thinking, okay, this is what God wants her to do. And even though it's not covered by insurance, we'll figure out how to pay for it. I am going to be a widower. I just might as well face the fact that I'm going to be a widower because this isn't going to work. And I wanted the Costco guarantee. 
I wanted to know if it doesn't work, I can take it back and get my money. Yep. And the um, the best guarantee the conventional medicine was offering her was like, we can we can make it five years. You know, mm. we'll, we'll get to this five years taking aromatase and all everything else. And, and uh, so she didn't want to do that. And I'm going, nobody's giving me a guarantee. And then I then I realized too, as the Lord showed me, every person that was healed in the New Testament by Jesus, they died later on. That healing wasn't even permanent. I mean, it was it was great. It glorified it glorified Him, and it was like a uh, stamp of approval from, from from Him saying, "Not a stamp of approval, a qualification." What do you call it? Validation of His ministry, that's of His it, power. Yep. Validating, validating who He was, but it wasn't meant to last forever. Yep. So. I said, okay. That's a really whatever interesting way to look at it. I think that's right. Whatever she does, if it's, if it's conventional or if it's nature path or whatever she's doing, it's not going to last forever. Mm. And so I, I finally got the point of saying, okay, if it's God's will, she does this and dies. Okay. No, I'm not going to. No matter which way you go, if it's conventional or unconventional, somehow that is still wrapped up under God's will and you're not going to live any longer than he planned. Hmm. I, I can't. I can't actually. You know, that's like that's like trying to put free will and God's you know, sovereignty together. You're not. Just, you're not moving that yeah. date by a minute. Yeah. No, it's still there. And so that's why I drank all my cokes for so long. So I just gave it up about a month ago. But yeah, that's the reason you're shaking right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so now it's recurred. It's come back, which is normal. You know. And uh, there's a girl in a church. She just had the convention. But she did go into remission for a period. Yeah, apparently so. Lil did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so now it's back. It's in a different spot. It's not the same spot. It's a different spot, same site. And she's doing it again. She's going to go back with the same stuff. And I'm telling her, look, go back to that nature path. That guy that was giving you all this supplement stuff. Go yeah. there. I'm encouraging her. Just do what you did before. Just do it again. Isn't that something? See what happens. Just a total, total 180 on my part. Like, what in the world are you doing? And I can just tell from your communication on this topic that there's a sweetness. God has been sweet and good to you as a family through this process, as hard as this is. It is. You know, it is difficult. Our, our pastor's wife has ALS, and she's been given like a year, year left to live. Oh, I didn't know that. And I, and I, talked, I talked to Rick, and, and he said, you know, he told me, I'm glad it's ALS because we know what's coming. There's no doubt in our mind. We know what's coming. Mm. We know we know about when. That's a tough and one. And we don't have to we don't have to wait for the next report. Is it there? Is it not there? You know, he basically said, I'm just you know, we're we're blessed that it's ALS. And she had already said she'd given a testimony like a year before saying, I have ALS and and this is this is my chariot to heaven. God has been so good to me, this is my chariot to heaven, I'm gonna take it. Wow. You know, there's nothing you can do for it. Mm. And, and so it's like, what a, what a testimony, you know, from this couple kind of puts me to shame. He's looking into what they're, you know, what they're saying. Well, I'll tell you what, I want people to know how to find you, how to learn more about your story. And, you know, we could talk about that later and I can put yeah. it on the website. Or if somebody wanted to communicate with you, they could they could contact me through yeah. My email, john at johnwarrenmedia.com. You're always so gracious. Your story, we just touched the tip of the iceberg very briefly in what is now an, an almost hour-long uh, wow. conversation, but it is a rich story of God's grace, and you are so humble and understated. Your 
your ministry, your life has meant so much. Just just by way of example for so many people, there are, uh, yeah, it sounds so cheesy, all the things I want to say right now. One, one, <laughs> one is you could, have done, you could have done so many things with your life, but you decided to be a missionary to Japan. And the sweetness of it to me, watching you, how you live day to day, is you are still you you kind of fell in love with ministry to those people to the Japanese people and and as you said a few minutes ago you still do that and yeah. you can you can do this uh, God willing the rest of your life and I would assume that's what your plan is that's what the plan is yeah I'm gonna try to give it a go yeah yeah and you're still I, I don't want to be awkward here with this but yeah. you're you're still supported financially like a missionary aren't you. Yeah, I um, when Wells Wells Gold, I had to close the door recently from just the finance and things. And Wells, we built around Wells anyway. So if someone wants so to find you and do that, how would they go about? Well, there's a um, I've now taken the ministry under one of our supporting churches. It's called McCullough Bible Church, and they're in, in uh, McCullough, Alabama. And how do you spell that? M C capital C A L L A. Okay. McCullough, there's a McCullough Baptist Longland. I'll call it Bible Church, and um, you can look them up on the internet. And I'm I'm there as, as a um, I'm not there. Maybe I am there on the mission missionary list. Okay. And I don't go to work there. I'm not, I'm not on their staff. I'm a supported missionary. Right. Under under McCall Bible. Okay. Or if they want to see, if they want to go to a golf site and just find my my email address, they can go to a place called unlimitedmulligans.com. Oh, I like that. Unlimitedmulligans.com. I'll put that out there. I'll put that out there with this episode as well. Okay. So people yeah. can yeah. find you there, but you can find me. You can find me somewhere. Well, this story is a blessing. I'm so glad you took the time to share it. I really want to ask you another uh, uh, 15 questions and take another hour of your time, but I'll close with this. I'll tell you this. You gave me at a time you and I just blazed through as you were telling your story. We, we started talking about our, our regeneration is what we're really talking about. And, and kind of an, and we each experienced a series of events that gave us some confidence that we might be Christians. And, and we, we talked about that, but you, you were so helpful to me. You know, I I gotta, I gotta just tell you this, You, you know, my first memory of you uh, is before we met, you used to play guitar and sing with a guy named, I'm, I want to say his name was Jim Kincaid. Is that, is that the name? Was it Jimmy? Was it Jimmy? Or was it, or was it Henry Avelio? It was, it was Kincaid. It was a guy named Jim Kincaid. Okay, Kincaid. Jimmy Kincaid. And, yeah. and on Sunday nights at Shades Mountain Independent Church before, and, and now you're back at that church and it's got a different name. It's called Shades Mountain Community. Shades Mountain Community Church. Yeah. And they had like a before the service thing. Do you remember that? And you guys would sit on the steps on the left side of the uh, the platform there and play and, and sing worship songs. You know, I had to learn how to play guitar because I, I was teaching junior high at times and I lost my guitar player. Oh, is that what happened? Well, it was, it was, I remember those days fondly, but you were so helpful to me as I was a, a youngster who was hungry for theology and you had had enough by the time we really got to know each other, you'd had enough experience uh, through seminary. And, and I knew your, your Auburn story and I knew you had, I, I didn't know all the, the double firing story and all that detail, but, but I knew you had left accounting 
and gone to seminary and you just, as you just did in this conversation, you approached it with such in such a balanced way. And so you're one of those, I, I don't want to make this weird, but you're one of those people in my story, if I were telling my story, that I would use as a highlight, much like you and your son, where you failed to teach him how to stop, stop his car. And, and God used that to kind of end him up in in the vocation and the career and the life that he's living. You you are one of those people to me. And it, it's a, and I could go on and on about, I remember asking you one time, well, what, what, in fact, I'm looking at him right now. I said, I said, what, what commentaries do you get? How do you, how do you actually know what, if you're just a business guy, how do you know what, what the Bible actually teaches? Cause some of these sections are really confusing and you recommended Matthew Henry and, and some others. Yeah. And yeah. I still have them. Uh, I hardly ever open them because there are so many online tools now. <laughs> I know, yeah. Um, and I have, a, I have a little bit of an appreciation because of your, your story for uh, Greek and Hebrew, although I use little online reference tools for Greek primarily because oh, Hebrew, Hebrew, yeah. he, Hebrew is yeah. really difficult. My goodness. It's yeah. a, yeah. I it's think like a whole other language. I, it's a poetic kind of a language, isn't it? And and yeah. and you have to know history to interpret it. And, oh my goodness! It's, yeah, it's, 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 it's it, I like Greek a lot. I majored in Greek. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. I, I I like it because it unlocks most of the time with with some of these versions of the Bible, like the English Standard Version or New King James or even American Standard, New American Standard, um, and their NIV even and some others. They, if you kind of take a hybrid of all of those, they get the words right for the most part, get the thoughts yeah, down. Yeah. But it's just helpful to know, for me, to know the part of speech and to know where the words are used elsewhere. And uh, you got to do that thing that where you compare scripture with scripture. And yeah. it's just, it's helpful for those. You, you mentioned the Westminster Confession, a document that I struggle with sections of. We all should struggle with some sections of. And in those challenging doctrines, it's just helpful to have those resources. And you were a big part of that in that, oh, that well, developing that, that developing that yeah. hunger in my life. And your precious daughter, you visited us, uh, boy, it's been, I don't know how many years oh, ago. Yeah. Soccer, and yeah. and uh, she just, uh, you said she's your, your American idol or family idol. I think you called her. Yeah. Um, family, yeah. Uh, yeah. She uh, uh, lights up a room and is uh, just a, a sweet testimony to who uh, you and Lil are. So thank you for being here. I'm going to get this information out there so that people can contact you. And I, I really appreciate you taking this time. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for asking me. And I think I ran out of all my words. Well, we, <laughs> I don't think you did. I think you're lying. <laughs> and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll have you, we'll do this again. We, we definitely need right. to do this. Hey, so, so folks uh, go to johnwarrenmedia.com to, access this episode and others or you can go to spotify apple music google play and any place you go to get podcasts you can reach us at john at johnwarrenmedia.com and bill can be reached at unlimitedmulligans.com if i got that right Mulligan, bill Mulligan, Mulligan. mulligans plural yeah, like lots of them. Yeah. Oh, I, I like lots of mulligans. I require lots of mulligans. Me too. All right. Well, thank you again. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Relentless Truth with John Warren. Please consider sharing this podcast and subscribe to receive future episodes. Connect with John regarding your comments, questions, and show ideas 
through johnwarrenmedia.com or at John Warren Media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. That's all for this episode. Join us next week for another edition of Relentless Truth with John Warren.